And welcome back to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, always alongside and joined by my terrific co-host, Jonah Tools. Jonah, you know, there's a lot going on in the college football landscape, but it is Twitter Thursday. One of our favorite days of the week, but first, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how's everything going with you today, man? Man, we got bombarded with a ton of news today in the college football world, didn't we? I mean, National Signing Day, KJ Costello. I mean, and then we got all these Twitter questions from the fans. Man, I got to tell you, it's going to be one heck of a Thursday podcast. It is, man. We got a lot of stuff going on, National Signing Day. I'm sure everybody saw the tweets from various football accounts, college football accounts all over the country. And it's always interesting to see, like, the different graphics and you know, visual rep- representation that they come out with. And I think there's a lot of creative things going on. Oklahoma had a really good idea. Clemson always is top-notch. And then there were some others that were really impressive as well. So it's always cool to see, like, the different visual or video representations that they have for their new recruits. So were there any, like, accounts that really caught your eye as far as, like, man, this is some really creative stuff? No, I mean, I, I think – but what you're starting to see is now is that how social media plays such a big role in, like, National Signing Day. I mean, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Not one specific school caught my eye, but it's just like a trend, right? You see, like, you know, whether it's recruits announcing on social media, they incorporate video into it, whether it's picking the hats, whoever it is. But you can tell social media is just becoming a game changer in this new landscape of our media environment, man. It's just rippling over to National Signing Day, and it's just really cool to see. It definitely is, man. It's just really cool to see the various different types of social media accounts, you know, joining in and everything. And then, you know, see the kids retweeting it and just eating all that stuff up. So it's pretty cool to see. But, man, one class that I did notice. Have you seen Clemson's class this year? I have. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. They have, like, the number one quarterback, the number one defensive tackle, and number two defensive tackle, like the number one DN. It is just crazy, man, what Dabble Sweeney's been able to do and what he has built down there at Clemson. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And, like, I know Rivals and 24-7 were saying that, like, this could be one of the best classes ever. And they have, like, five or six uh, five-star recruits, and nobody else has over three during the early signing period. So really crazy, man, really, really crazy. But – Of course, we have plenty of other things that we want to get to, but just to give you guys a little bit of insight where we're going to be covering today, uh, we've already touched briefly on National Signing Day. Uh, You know, that's always the early signing period. That's something that is really new in college football. I believe this is the second year of the early signing day period being a thing now. And then also we have some big news. Uh, We have another big-time quarterback entering the transfer portal, and that is Stanford quarterback K.J. Costello. We're going to dive into that really quickly and maybe some possibilities of where he could go and maybe some fits that he could seek. Uh, and then we'll finish up, of course, with you guys' questions on Twitter Thursday, just because that is the whole purpose of the Thursday podcast. Just you know, keep sending your questions in. Even if we don't get to your question, we will eventually get to all of you guys' questions. So for those of you that we, for those of you whose questions we did get to, though, I want to thank you, of course. And if we don't, of course, continue to send in your question, and we will get to it as quickly as we can. If not this week's show, we definitely will come back or circle back to it in next week's show. So with that being said, I want to talk about this KJ Costello phenomenon just because he was a guy that had a lot of entry coming into the year. 
but he battled some injuries this year, and he just did not look like the same guy. Stanford took a massive step back this year. They just didn't look the same. David Shaw has kind of lost his luster a little bit uh, as far as a prominent head coach in the country, and he was starting to – some NFL teams were – they had some interest in him, but you're really not seeing that. You're not seeing his name pop up as much. So maybe Costello is just trying to get out of there. Maybe before Shaw gets out of there, I'm not really sure what's going on there, but uh, him entering the transfer portal as opposed to, you know, being in the senior bowl or – you know, going ahead and declaring for the draft, that came as a bit of a surprise to many. I know when I saw that tweet, I was really surprised by that as well. So with Costello, were you a fan of his film last year? And just talk about some teams or some schools that you think could fit his skill set. I mean, not really. I mean, he's just kind of like your prototypical pocket passer that can't move. He's just like... To me, I thought like Tom Savage coming out of Pittsburgh, same kind of mold, wildly inaccurate ball placement. Um, I, I just wasn't really a huge fan of his coming out last year. Um, so, like, it's not a surprise to me that, you know, his stock has kind of decreased since then. I think he got a lot of hype last year, and then it kind of started trickling down as more people started to watch him uh, this season. I, I'm actually kind of surprised that he didn't declare. that He, he was senior bowl eligible, and obviously in the grad transfer portal something. He was he graduated, was able to go to the Senior Bowl. I'm actually really surprised he didn't declare because after some of the top guys in this class, this it's me interesting to see which quarterback kind of separate themselves. And I thought Costello, with his traits, could at least appeal to some teams as like one of those like Sean Mannion types. You, you know, he got he got drafted in the third round by the Rams a couple of years ago. So he, I mean, teams will take a chance on a guy with his traits and his size. Uh, I personally wasn't a fan, but that doesn't mean NFL teams weren't going to be a fan of his. Um, but uh, now that he's transferred, I think you got to look at some Big Ten teams. I think Michigan makes a lot of sense. Michigan was high on his uh, was hot in his recruiting process coming out, um, and now obviously Shea Patterson is out the door, so they they're going to need somebody. Well, Brian Lewerke is going to be out. Um, this is a team that can compete if they have the right personnel. I think Cassell would be a good fit over there. Michigan State was also another team hot on his recruiting trail coming out of high school. So I think you look at a couple of Big Ten teams uh, in there, but I mean, other than that, it, it it could be anybody. I mean. Anybody who thinks they can compete right away. Costello, I mean, he's a good college quarterback. I just don't think his traits really translates to the NFL level as good as other players. But he has the ability to win through some games. So don't be surprised if the big-name programs jump into the pool here. Definitely. Anytime you get you know, a proven quarterback, uh, he's going to be a commodity as far as in the transfer portal just because that seems to be the new thing where all of these schools, they really want a transfer as opposed to relying on grooming a high school kid coming in right away and depending on him to, you know, transcend the position. So uh, with Costello, and I'm a little bit higher on him uh, than what you kind of described him. I think Sean May, I think he's a little bit better than that. And I think he kind of, t- he took a massive step back this year just because of uh, what was around him. And of course he had, uh, you know, the injury situation that he was dealing with as well. But you talk about the mobility factor, that's just something that he doesn't have and something that really is requisite in, in today's NFL, so that's something that really does scare you about him. I think he's he has a football a high football IQ, I should say. I think he's really aware of what's going on. He gets the ball out really quickly, uh, but he just didn't look like the same guy that we saw in 2018 as opposed to 2019. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he does land. Michigan was one team that I definitely did have down. That's where he could be a fit. I could see him transitioning into you know that pro style type of offense, but they do have Dylan McCaffrey there. 
I know everybody's saying, man, there's another freaking McCaffrey. Yes, there's another McCaffrey, <laughs> but uh, he, he is a quarterback there, and he, he's, he's expected to be the future. So we'll see if they do add Costello into the mix just to get some type of competition in there just because even though you do have a highly ranked high school kid there, it's always good to have that proven guy. And that's that's a very similar situation to what we saw in Oklahoma this year with Jalen Hurts and then Spencer Rattler as well, who was expected to take over in 2020, uh, who who was the reigning number one quarterback in the country. So it's all you can never have too many quarterbacks on the roster, and I'm I'm a firm believer of that. It's always good to have competition in the room. But LSU, that definitely could be another fit that I could see. Uh, now he's nowhere near as good as Joe Burrow or as mobile as Joe Burrow. But if you're looking to see or bring in a proven guy. And not having a precipitous drop-off, I think Costello definitely could be a guy that does mix in well in that offense. Now, he's not going to put up nearly the numbers that uh, Joe Burrow did just because of the mobility factor and being able to create off-script. Costello really doesn't have that. But if you want a guy that can come in and engineer the offense and really keep things afloat, as opposed to relying on, you know, I don't know exactly the recruits they have coming in the door, but I think Costello probably would be better than some of the guys that they do have or that they're bringing in. So I think LSU definitely is an intriguing fit and something that I could see as a fit for Costello. So LSU and Michigan, those will probably be the two that I see as the best fit for him. But it's going to be really interesting to see exactly where he does He does end up going. All eyes will be on his landing spot. Did you have anything else to add to that? I always throw out another team. And I know it's just because, you know, I'm not a big fan of Costello, so it can't be like me being biased. But I think Texas Tech's a real landing spot. And I'll put this out there because Alan Bowman's was their starter, their future, whoever it was. True freshman, had a great season. Sophomore year, tore his shoulder labor and was out for the entire year. Uh, we don't know when if Bowman – we don't know if Bowman's going to look the same. The quarterback's with shoulder injuries, that, that's a scary thing. It's not like the ACL injuries or Achilles tear with, like, uh, with skill players, right? So it's a big thing you have to keep, keep an eye on. And uh, Jet Duffy, their starting quarterback this year, who filled in for Bowman, he entered the train. So I, and, you know, Matt Wells, you know, coming from Utah State, has that West Coast background. He knows Costello. He's well acclimated with him. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Matt Wells sold Costello and playing at Texas Tech. You know, I know it's not the same sort of deal with Cliff Kingsbury, but the Texas Tech track record of quarterbacks being pumped out and being, you know, going to the pros, and it, it's a good track record. So. I think Wells could sell Costello on being Texas Tech's starting guy, especially with the uncertainty around Bowman and then Duffy going to the transfer portal as well. It's definitely going to be really interesting just because quarterbacks, the most position, it's the most important position on the field, man. You have to have a proven guy there. And I don't want to say a proven guy, but you want to have a really talented guy there just because he engineers the entire operation. And we saw how if you have a transcendent guy there, he can really change the totality of your season. We saw that with LSU this year, and that's an extreme example, but you can have a one-year turnaround if you do have a really good guy engineering that entire operation. And I'm not saying Costello is that guy, but he is a proven commodity in the college game. So uh, LSU, Michigan, we've named some other schools as well that could be a fit for him that I'm really intrigued to see where he does end up going. But I want to remind the listeners about Breaking Tea. If you are looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. They are great for all fans. You can go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. Again, that's BreakingTea.com 
and slash locked on. And then feel free to search the site for a great shirt and fun sports gifts. So we are approaching our favorite part of the week, man. Twitter Thursday, we have so many intriguing questions that a lot of people did send in. And this is always my favorite part of the week just because you get some off-the-wall questions, but you really always want to get to it just because you always want to get your thoughts on some of these issues that do arise with some of these questions just because they are very interesting, and I always love getting your thoughts on some of these. So you ready, man? I am 100% ready, man. Fire away, dude. All right, so the first question comes from Rick Johnston, and that is Rick underscore J1022. Thank you, Rick, for sending in your question. He asks, where do you see the Raiders going with both of their picks? And then a follow-up question, could you see them being or using both of their picks to trade up and get a player like Chase Young or an elite talent in this draft? I don't, and the reason why I don't see them trading up is because the Raiders still have a roster full of holes on that depth chart, man. I mean, they have so many needs, whether it's the secondary, wide receiver, you know, linebacker help, interior pass rush. They, they, need, they need a lot of help. Um, so I, I think one of the biggest things that I think I, – so, so let's, let's go for context here. Last year, I said that they wanted to build identity of toughness. Mayock went in there. Gruden went in there. I said they were going to draft a guy like Jonathan Abrams or Josh Jacobs. Well, they ended up drafting them both. So now coming into this year, I think they have the same mentality, right? You draft winners, draft toughness, intangibles, kind of guys who can – you know, sell the identity of the Raiders when you go into Las Vegas. But when you have when you team that, when you have a team that's relocating, you want to build an identity, build an identity of toughness and physicality. To me, that's Dylan Moses. Dylan Moses is gonna be a guy that's gonna be in their draft range. I think the injury is gonna help him fall a little bit to the Raiders. Um, and I think that, you know he's exactly what they look for. I know John uh, Gruden and Mike Mayock they were really eyeballing Devin Bush and Devin White at number four overall last year, and they weren't able to get get either of those guys. So I think they're going to get the leader of the middle of their defense here in this draft, and Dylan Moses fits the bill. I, I think he's the guy that can be their Will or their Mike for the next 10 years. If he's if, if, if trainers give him a go, he's I think he's going to be a Raider if he's there. If he's on the clock, uh, I don't see them passing up on him. And then the other guy I can see them getting is like a wide receiver like CeeDee Lamb. Derek Carr needs a number one guy. I, mean, he hasn't have, I know Amari Cooper was that guy for him, but they traded him away, and now they need someone. For, if Derek Carr's career is going to be restabilized, they need a primary weapon. C. Lamb, to me, is the best is the best wide receiver in this draft. I addressed that earlier. I think he has uh, superior physical traits to Jerry Judy, and that's what kind of gets the slight edge for me on my draft board. So it's time to get decent for my two early predictions, Dylan Moses and C. D. Lamb. Definitely, and I don't see them trading up for a guy like Chase Young. I don't really see that happening just because he's going to go within the top three picks. Now, whether that's, you know, Joe Burrow and Tua at the top and then a guy like Chase Young going and then Joe Burrow and then Chase Young going, I just don't see the Raiders having the draft capital in order or risking the draft capital in order to trade up to that type of spot. And I don't really necessarily think they have to just because they still have some holes on the roster. And, of course, you want to add a talent like Chase Young, but I just don't think it's necessary for them to do that considering they're in uh, year two now. They're about to enter year two, I should say of the Mike Mayock and John Gruden regime. And I think you're spot on as far as them adding attitude first. But now you really want to get playmakers in there. And I love I love the comparison or I love the, you know, the talent translation of them getting CeeDee Lamb and Dylan Moses. I think that would be a home run first round. But I think you just need to plug in holes for talent right now. 
And we see that with them, just their talent, their pride at certain spots. And this team hasn't had a really good linebacker in a very long time. And I think Dylan Moses definitely could be the answer to what they're searching for in the middle, even though they seem to not really linebacker doesn't seem to be a high priority for them for whatever reason. I still think linebacker is definitely one of the biggest holes that they have on this roster. So very interesting question, but we agree there. We don't really see them trading up for Chase Young or anything of that nature. They should really hang tight and then just let the board fall to them. So Oakland Raiders definitely will be a team that a lot of people have an eye on. I should say Las Vegas Raiders now. They'll be the Las Vegas Raiders exactly where the draft is being held this year. So definitely a lot of eyes will be on them. So transitioning to our next question, it comes from DraftGeek, and it's at DraftGuy09. He asks, the Falcons seem to have a lot of key pieces in place to win, but just haven't been consistently able to. What positions could you see them targeting in this year's draft? Oh, oh man. And there, there are a lot of them. I mean, you, you could see, I, I mean, one of the most consistent pairings is Derek Brown uh, going to the Falcons. They're always in that 6-7 spot around there. Uh, they may be a little higher now, but, I mean, uh, Derek Brown is a guy who I think is a top three player in this draft. He's number three player. My pairing him next to Grady Jarrett will immediately make one of those, that pass rush duel on the, on the interior one of the scariest things to defend in the National Football League. I think that makes a lot of sense. I still think addressing the offensive line is still something they need to do as well. I mean, I know they spent uh, their first two first-round picks last year, Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom last year. I still think they need to keep protecting Matt Ryan. That still is an issue. I know Lindstrom and McGarry have battled injuries this year, so that's maybe a little one-sided, but they still need to address the offensive line. And, you know, when I was early on in scouting, I was mentored that, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, too few offensive linemen, right? To me, offensive linemen, I mean. So, like, you just keep stacking the board, keep protecting uh, Matt Ryan. That's always right. going to be a good investment. Um, it, you know, I, I, I could see them going a myriad of directions. Do you want to go to secondary? I could see them doing that as well. If a guy like Jeffrey Okuda falls, are you really going to pass on him? I, I just don't think so, especially with guys like Michael Thomas and DJ Moore in the division. So And Mike Evans, for that matter, as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see where the Falcons go on this. But I think Derek Brown is a very good pairing, especially when I really beef up the interior of that defensive line. Man, imagine blocking him and Grady Jarrett for an entire game. Imagine trying to do that, man. That would be an absolute terror, trying to block both of those guys uh, for the length of the game. And I love the pairing of him uh, alongside Grady Jarrett. I think that would be one of the better duos or as far as interior duos in the entire league from day one. So uh, the Falcons do have some holes, though. This is another roster that I think on paper they have a lot of talent, but it just hasn't it hasn't come to fruition. And I don't know if it's just a lack of talent development with Dan Quinn or he's just not getting the best out of them. And I know they had a big win over San Francisco last week, but that really was one of their only big wins of the year. And they really have struggled this year. I believe they're like uh, four and 10 or something like that. Their record is not very good right now. So they're really struggling as far as, you know, uh, coming down the backstretch. But they did get a big win against the 49ers last week. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly if they do end up making a switch there uh, who ends up being the new coach there just because I think of any job that could come open I think I think the Falcons could have the biggest or the quickest turnaround I should say just because of the talent that's on the roster 
You already have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and a host of other guys as well. And I think they have some intriguing pieces on defense led by Grady Jarrett. Deion Jones is another good player. Uh, we'll see if Keanu Neal can come back healthy and stay healthy. I think that's another key piece to their defense as well. So the Falcons definitely have some talent and key spots. It's just a matter of getting the most out of them and, of course, staying healthy. So our next question comes from Skippy Lennon, and he asks, Late-round prospects or day-three guys that can rise with the most good combine. So who are some guys that could rise that are day-three guys after the combine? That's pretty much what he's asking. Oh, I love this question. and I, Let me tell you why. There are so many guys that no one is talking about right now. But, like, their buzz we through the roof after the combine and into the pro day circuit. One of those guys, <laughs> you, you might laugh at me for this one. I might get a lot of heat on this for Twitter, on Twitter, but Lynn Bowden. The wide receiver, the Kentucky quarterback slash wide receiver. Have you seen him? I have. I'm a big fan of him. I actually watched him yesterday. <laughs> I like Dude. him a lot as a receiver. Yes, I think he's like that. You know, Julian Edelman coming out of college, centers in a wide receiver. Randall yeah. Cobb doing the same sort of thing yep. in, in Kentucky, no matter. So it's just one of those things where Bowden, man, this guy is just so explosive with the ball in his hands. He's proven he can catch the ball. And I think when he goes to the combine, just blows up the athletic testing, the drills, you're going to have a lot of scouts buzzing and coaches buzzing over this guy yep. just because of the different ways you can use him. I know it sounds dumb with like guys like, guys like Taysom Hill are so big in the NFL now, but you have those position switch guys. I could see the NFL just gushing over Lynn Bowden. I, I wouldn't, it would not surprise me at all if he goes into day two consideration for the combine. This guy is just so versatile, so explosive with the ball in his hands. Teams are going to view him as a chess piece. I could easily see him in that day two conversation after the combine. Definitely. And I think one area that's going to help him a ton is that he was so unselfish with switching his position this year. Oh, played quarterback, absolutely. Played quarterback for most of the year. And he looked good at doing it, even though he you could tell he's not a natural thrower. But they really ran him. They treated him like a wildcat guy in a sense. But you still saw the explosiveness, the shiftiness that he brought to the table as well. And that type of unselfishness or unselfishness, I should say, is going to help him a whole bunch. And then you know right away he's going to be an instant impact type of guy on special teams as well, just because he brings that mentality. And I think this is one of the reasons why I think the league missed so much on Terry McLaurin. And he brought that special teams factor to it. And this is something that I tweeted about at the Senior Bowl last year. So the special teams segment is something that a whole bunch of people don't really pay attention to. And there's only like 10 to 15 minutes of practice that's dedicated to it. And this is kind of like a rest area for people to just rejuvenate, recharge the battery during practice. But what I noticed, Terry McLaurin was going 100 miles per hour. And he was playing gunner. During every senior, every senior, uh, every single senior bowl practice, I should say, and man, they could not block him at all. And that was really my first experience of who Terry McLaurin actually was, just because I didn't have a whole bunch of or a great understanding of him coming into the event. But I mean, it, everything spoke for itself as far as that. But that's something that they didn't show on TV, just because it's not really a huge interesting piece of the practices. You know, they see the, you see the one on ones, and you see seven on sevens, and then of course you see the eleven on eleven actual inter-squad scrimmages and things of that nature. But the special teams portion with Terry McLaurin and then with Lynn Bowden, I think that's something that he could shine at, uh, not necessarily at the senior bowl, but just in general. I think he's going to be a player that can be an instant impact type of 
a contributor on special teams. And then you talk about a guy that can play running back, he can play receiver, he can play corner, wherever you want to experiment with him as. I think that's something that's going to help his stock tremendously just because he can wear so many different hats. And let me throw out another name for you. And th- and this guy's going to be at the Senior Bowl, but I don't think the Senior Bowl is going to be the right platform for him. I, I, and the reason why I say this is because he's not really experienced. He still has a lot of room to grow. That's Davion Taylor, the linebacker from Colorado. Yeah, Honestly, I like him a lot, this guy, man. Yeah, this guy is a blur. This guy can move, dude. Oh, so 6'2", 225, kind of looks like a, a strong safety out there. Kind of plays an overhang kind of. A role for the, for the buffs, kind of like rover position. Yeah, uh, so he's not really a true linebacker, but he's kind of like that test piece you can move around. So I, I and he's still learning the game in terms of instincts and that. But in man coverage, this guy I think can, can you know, guard tight ends, slots. So he might fare really well in that part of the one on one drills. But I think just the overall game aspect, that I, it's something he's ready for snaps yet. He's another one of those European NBA guys drafted staff, right? Yeah, redshirt him a year, give him the coaching staff, make get him up to speed on the NFL. And then you can see what you have. The reason why I say that, this guy was an all pack fall performer in the 100 meter dash. Yep. <laughs> in 2018. <laughs> he finished sixth. So, let's, let's just say this a linebacker, 6'2, 225, finished sixth, 12 outdoor championships in the 100 meter dash. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy ran a 10 5 1 in the prelims. This guy's a half second away from qualifying for the Olympics. <laughs> And this guy ran the 200 meter, ran a 21 second 200 meter. This guy is athletic, and I'm telling you, the the mobile may not be the best platform to show off that athleticism, but when he gets into shorts, man, he is going to blow it up. Yeah, and I he think is. Scout's gonna be buzzing over him. It would not surprise me if he runs four three at all. I mean, this guy <laughs> is. It is an insane athlete, and you're going to have a lot of people talking about him, looking up his mock draftable chart, looking up all his athletic traits. This guy's going to be uh, one of the biggest risers following the combine, for, for sure. Yeah, his spider chart is going to be very wide. It's going to be an open umbrella that I like to say. <laughs> He's going to have some very intriguing traits. So do you know about his backstory? Have you heard his backstory? I have, I actually have, yes. So, so he wasn't allowed to play football. Yeah, uh, he was. He was. So he was allowed to play football like most of high school because of his religion, his religious yeah. beliefs. Wasn't that right? Yep. And I think that's another guy you talk about now. Their development being on the upswing, heading to the draft. And we talked about some guys that that were examples of that yesterday, uh, where the star or the arrow is pointing up. I think that definitely could be a case with Taylor to where he's still just trying to figure things out. And it's really kind of a trial by trial by error thing with him. And he's just trying things out as far as in coverage, you know, filling the gaps. And then I love him as a wheel linebacker. I think he's going to be a really good uh, option there just because uh, I don't think he can be a Sam just because I don't think he's strong enough to hold at the point right. of attack as far as filling gaps on the strong side. But you put him as a wheel, you let him run with those 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 running backs and those tight ends uh, in coverage. I think there's no person that's going to outrun him in coverage that he's going to be guarding. Uh, and then he can be a little bit – he's going to be freed up a little bit to roam a little bit more at will as opposed to Sam considering he's on the weak side of the formation. So I love him as a wheel linebacker, and I think you're spot on with that as far as – a guy that definitely could be a riser after the senior bowl as well. And I just love his story, uh, how he, he's really just figuring things out. He had to get permission to actually play football just because uh, he, his mother had some religious beliefs to where he couldn't play high school football. But uh, he, he ended up 
accepting a scholarship to actually a walk-on spot at Colorado, and then he worked his way up uh, into being a scholarship participant or a scholarship player, I should say. So he loves stories like that, and it goes back to the Ashton Davis factor that I talked about yesterday of where I just love players that are former walk-ons, and then they work their way up, uh, work their way up, uh, the totem pole, I should say, just because it just means a little bit more to them, just because they had to work their way up. They weren't just given a position off the bat. So I love Davion Taylor's. I love what he stands for, and I love that the arrow is pointing up with him. Did you have anything else to add to that? Yes, and what I love about Davion is that this guy's a special teams player, too. Even in his senior year as a starting linebacker for Colorado in a power program, this guy played nearly every special team snap. And you just love to see, you love to see those kind of players. You mentioned Terry McLaurin and his special team snaps. How I think that really helped him when he did at, the, at Mobile. He showed that. I think that's where, where Taylor can really show off in Mobile is the special team's prowess. And I think that's where he can get scouts to think uh, he can create some buzz around scouts in Mobile is special team's ability. And that's why I think he's going to get drafted a lot higher than where his experience really indicates because he's, you know, he's a strong kid, really fast, but also dedicated on special teams. You know he's going to try to make a roster that way. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Taylor. I think Taylor's going to be one of the biggest risers, and he'll be one of the biggest sleepers on my draft board. Agreed, and I'm glad we got to him just because we don't really get to get to some of these down-the-line guys, and I don't think he's going to be a down-the-line guy once we're exiting Mobile, and I think he's going to have a really good performance there. But before we move on uh, and finish up with a couple more questions after the break, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back finishing up with Twitter Thursdays. And for those of you that may have skipped to this point for whatever reason, uh, we are in the middle of our Twitter Thursday questions uh, for the week. And once again, I want to thank everybody for sending in your questions. And if we just so happen to not get to your question, continue to send them in every week. We do our best to get to every single question that we can. Uh, But without further ado, I want to jump back into this thing and this is probably my favorite question of the week and it comes from trevor joseph and it's at every trevor ever fantastic twitter name trevor but he asked what is the best prospect team fit that most definitely won't happen and what is the worst prospect team fit that most definitely will happen i love this question <laughs> i'll oh, let you yes. i'll yes. let you go first okay well the best team prospect fit that will never happen in a million years because he will never reach it. One, he'll never be there for the team that's available to pick. And number two, yeah, I just don't see this team loading up again at the position, uh, considering how much they have of it already. Henry Ruggs to the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> oh, mean, you stole mine. You stole yeah, mine. I mean, I mean, how about that speed with Patrick Mahomes, vertical offense, Andy Reid? I mean, it's a perfect Man, that would that'd be unfair. I mean, come on. That, 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 that's just the perfect scenario, right? I mean, or, or like, I'll, I'll give you another one that'll never happen. Like Joe Burrow to the Patriots, right? I mean, yeah. that, is, that, that is the prototypical Bill Belichick quarterback. Doesn't have elite arm strength, but everything else is just awesome. Pocket poise, ball placement, leadership, intangibles. And that, that's just what he loves in the quarterback prospect. So those are the two, I guess, fits that will never happen in a million years. But, hey, uh, we're here to speculate. Uh, but the one fit I do love, and I'm going to go back to the team I just talked about, the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Etienne, the yeah. Chiefs, and, and LaShawn McCoy and, you know, and Damian Williams, 
those guys are good. You know, Lachlan McCoy is at the end of his career. He's, you know, he's shooting at 18 right now on the back nine. And then Damon Williams, this is a guy that I think is just more of a stopgap option than a long-term guy. The Chiefs know that. Um, so, like, ever since Kareem Hunt left, I think the Chiefs have always been searching for that running game to pick back up, and it really hasn't. And that's why you're seeing the Chiefs not as dominant as they've been in, in, in the seasons past. So I think really addressing that could be a priority for them in the offseason. If they don't address it in free agency, it could very well be in the draft. And I could see a guy like Travis Etienne with his speed and his ability to help in their passing game. I can see Andy Reid falling in love with this guy. Because, I mean, Andy Reid is the guy who drafted LeSean McCoy, and Travis Etienne has that same sort of elusiveness and shifty explosiveness that McCoy had. So Etienne is a guy that I could see Andy Reid falling in love with, and I can see Etienne being that range for the Chiefs as well in the late first round. Definitely. I love the ETN fit on the Chiefs and the Rugs fit on the Chiefs as well. I think both of those guys would be cheat codes on that roster, man. It would just be completely unfair. And there's nothing you could do to guard any of those guys just because there's so many weapons. You really have to pick your poison with there. But I'm going to cheat a little bit with mine. So my best prospect team fit, I'm going to go with Jeffrey Okuda on the Vikings. Imagine adding him to the secondary of Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mike Hughes, Harrison Smith, Anthony Harris, and then you have that ferocious front seven as well. There's just no way you would be able to throw on those guys. So Jeffrey Kuda on the Vikings, I love that fit, even though there's no way, there's no way in the world that is going to happen. And then the worst prospect team fit, I'm going to go a little bit off the grid and be a little bit hilarious here just because the Giants, they're going to beat the Redskins this week. So Dave Gettleman somehow retains his job, and he selects <laughs> Derek Brown. <laughs> oh, my God. No. <laughs> After trading a third-round pick for Leonard Williams, not resigning him, selecting Dexter Lawrence in the first round with the 17th overall no. pick, he continues to add another hog molly and strengthen the interior again with Derek Brown. Him and no. Dexter Lawrence middle that would be so hilarious and i just want to see it happen just for the reactions from giants fans and i know giants fans you might hate me for that but we're being a little bit funny here and going off the grid it would be a, it would i don't want to say it would be a horrible fit but as far <laughs> as positional uh fit and you know positional value i should say taking a defensive or interior guy that early, I just don't think it would be very wise, especially after you invested so much already with Dexter Lawrence, a first-round pick, and then you unwisely traded a third-round pick for Leonard Williams, a guy that they probably are going to struggle to, you know, resign after they spent so much draft capital on him, trading for him from the New York Jets. So uh, Derek Brown, Dave Gettleman, the, the, you know, the marriage between them two happening, that would be so hilarious. Dude, and so I, I didn't come up with the worst one. So I, I'm going I'm to come up with one real quick. And I, th- this would be so fascinating if this happens. I think, Twitter, I think Dolphins' Twitter would break if this happens. We know how up and down Justin Herbert has been. We know that the Tank for Tua shirts have already been released <laughs> in Miami. Yeah. If the Dolphins are scared somewhat of Tua's injury, they pass on him for Justin Herbert. What? I think there will be. Bur- I, think, I think Dolphin fans will burn the two jerseys they created. I think you'll see that on Twitter. I think you'll see Dolphins' Twitter burn down. It, it will be bad because the one thing Dolphins, the Dolphins need to do is just hit on these draft picks. They need to get. They need to hit. They don't necessarily need to hit home runs, 
they need to hit just doubles or, or singles. You know, they, they, they just can't miss. This, this roster is so depleted of talent. You're taking arguably the biggest risk in the draft in Justin Herbert <laughs> as the identity of this draft class. Woo! <laughs> that that would so be so hilarious, man. Oh, my gosh. And passing on him for Tua. Yeah. I think, you know, if when healthy, this guy has a really high floor, in my opinion. So Definitely. This would be – oh, that, that, it would be really interesting to watch Twitter uh, Twitter's response to that. It would be very similar to the Daniel Jones-Wayne Haskins deal. Yeah, it would be the Trubisky thing. Do you remember the Trubisky reaction? Oh, yeah. The, the Trubisky to the Bears <laughs> over Watson. Yeah. Yes. That would be it would be pretty funny. Um, but, you know, once again, I want to thank you guys for sending your questions in. That is our show uh, for today. We will be back tomorrow with another glorious Friday show. And there's so much we're going to have to discuss. And it just seems like topics arise from all over. And, we, you know, we always try to discuss exactly the show notes and exactly what we're going to talk about uh, prior to the show. But there's always something that pops up out of nowhere. And the Costello news was something that was a great example of that. But I'm sure there's going to be something, a Friday news dump that does come about uh, that we will end up discussing as well. So really excited about that and excited about tomorrow's show. But once again, thank you guys for sending in your Twitter questions. That is another great Thursday show. Once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my terrific and always consistent co-host, Jonah Tolls. We are the Locked On College Football Podcast, and thank you for listening.